Hello, and welcome to the We Are Stanwood Camino podcast, where we dive into the trends and news affecting our real estate market while chatting with our amazing team of brokers. I'm your host, Marla Hegel, owner of Windermere Real Estate and market insights expert in Stanwood and Camino Island, where we're all in for you. Hello and welcome to the We Are Stanwood Camino podcast. My name is Marla Hegel and I'm excited to be here. Actually, I've been wanting to have this person on our podcast for quite some time. I'm sitting here with our agent, Tamara Matthews. Hi, 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 hi Marla. This is fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yes. Well, you have so many great stories and such an interesting, you know, life. And I, I love talking to you anytime, but it's really going to be fun talking to you today on the podcast. Good. Um, I like to start every podcast with how we met. And I met Tamara when I started in real estate back in 2001. She and her husband, David, were an existing agent team in the Windermere office there when we were over at the IGA Plaza. Right. And uh, from the minute I started uh, real estate, Tamara has always been supportive and helpful and uh, really a mentor to me throughout the years. And now we've worked together for 16 years. Wow. Thank you. That was a nice compliment. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Feels like yesterday uh, we started. But anyway, Tamara, uh, let's just dive right in. And uh, I'd love to hear how you got started in real estate. Ah, well, my husband and I had just sold our Bellini infant and juvenile furniture business in uh, Bellevue. We had been commuting from Camino to Bellevue for six years, six days a week, never wanting to even remotely consider moving to Bellevue because we love Camino and we wanted to stay here. And then uh, when we sold our business, uh, Ray Mueller recruited us and he said, I think you two would be really great in real estate. Why don't you join my team? So that's what we did. And when we, I think our first assignment really, I shouldn't call it an assignment, but opportunity to um, participate is that we represented the plat of Brentwood at that time. And so interestingly, the developer for Brentwood and we and Ray and Dan Leon, who was his partner at that time, all pooled our resources and we brought a gentleman who was interested in Brentwood up from Mexico, and he was working for PACAR at the time, and enticed him to purchase the first lot uh, up in uh, Brentwood with a beautiful view of the west side. And so that was in 1999, and that sold for 135000 oh, for the lot. Oh, my goodness. And the what? last lot to sell now in Brentwood, which wasn't as magnificent, was 400000 just this year. Isn't that something? Yeah, so. Just off the top of your head, what do you think that that first slot would sell for today? Today's prices. Oh, I, I mean, think it would be you know six something. Yeah, I'm sure. Six fifty something of that nature. Wow. Yeah, because the other one that sold in March of this year didn't have the same view. Right. And uh, right. you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot up there. No, I remember when um, I started. Brentwood was just starting, and and you had the little shed up there right. that you guys would sit up there on the weekends and mm-hmm. and help potential buyers. And yeah, and in those days, you know, people didn't have the technology that we have today, so they had to come on site to uh, inquire and get information about properties, whether it was a home or whether it was vacant land. They didn't have the opportunity to go online and look at photos and get any information. So. 
they were required to either walk into an office or come on site to the property to really get a good feel for, for what was available. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice now that they can do the preliminary screening. So when they do come in and walk in or whatever, uh, or call, uh, you know, we know what they really are interested in. That mm-hmm. really helps. It does. Yeah. <clears throat> so you've listed a lot of homes over the last 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has been your favorite? Well, I can't say that I have a favorite per se, but I've had some interesting challenges and that's what I kind of remember. Um, I, I make it a practice to always order preliminary title on a listing just to see if there are any surprises. And uh, had one, just a little simple one over in Camelot. Um, and it was a widow. Looking at the preliminary title, I saw that it was vested in her late husband's name, which is not too unusual, but also vested in his wife number one deceased name. Oh, so, no. so we had two deceased parties in which the property was vested. So then it went out to five additional children to we had to locate to see if they had any vested interest in the property in order to sell it for wife number two as a widow. And uh, so that was quite challenging to try to locate all five siblings and get them all to agree that yes, we'll let her sell the property and have the, the interest of the property. So that was kind of challenging. Oh my and, goodness, but you you got through it. But we got through you it. You did it. Absolutely. And then probably another interesting, challenging one was actually in your neighborhood. We had a, a gentleman from Hong Kong who wanted to sell two adjoining parcels, five acre pieces uh, in your neighborhood. And he wanted $650,000 for a five acre parcel, which was pretty unusual. And it had no water. Mm-hmm. And so we had to encourage him to... Uh, to draft, allow us to help him participate in the drafting of restrictive covenant covenants so that he could drill a well on both of the parcels and thus uh, improve the opportunity to sell and also keep the price elevated where he wanted it. And so we were successful in doing that as well. So Yeah, so those so, were kind of record highs. They were, of, very um, definitely. Yes, yeah. got all the neighbors excited. And I think <laughs> one has subsequently resold. Resold. Yes, yeah. for I think a one, million. one million. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just a two-year period, basically. Right. Pretty remarkable. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, great job on that. So... Do you have any special designations? Actually, I know the answer to this question, and I'd love to hear you talk about um, your designations. Well, I have some designations that were some years ago uh, in terms of being what's called an EPRO or or GRI, which is graduate of the Real Estate Institute. And I think they're about 20% of the brokers that have gone through that process. Um, which was really geared primarily toward the legal aspect of this business, which attracts me. I like the legal part of it. Yes. Uh, But then I also have what's called a senior real estate specialist designation. So I work with uh, primarily seniors at this point. Those are most of my clients, but, you know, I'm uh, working with people of all ages. Mm -hmm. And that's been interesting because I find that I have to be extraordinarily patient (laughs) <laughs> Which you are with, anyway. <laughs> with, uh, and and it's you know, as a former teacher, I, I like to keep my clients informed and give them all the options that are available to them so that they can make really great decisions on their future. 
and many of my uh, clients in today's world uh, are finding it difficult to find a place to move. You know, and it's it's a little more challenging to sell their homes at this point. Right. And uh, but sometimes I've been working with people for years and getting them to the point where we'll finally be listing their homes. And you're also part of the Windermere Transitions Program. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that's uh, again designated for seniors. Mm-hmm. And so Windermere has uh, developed a program where we meet not as often as perhaps we would like, but it's to try to help uh, people that are working with seniors to understand where some of the opportunities are for someone to move, especially if they're going to go into assisted living or um, maybe uh, a designated, what do I want to say, a larger, um, I'm not sure what term to use exactly, but uh, kind of a combined living situation where they can live uh, independently and then eventually transition into assisted living if needed or you know, ultimately maybe a nursing facility mm-hmm. if, if needed. Uh, so it's kind of geared more toward those folks than it is to the people that have uh, substantial resources at this point and uh, yeah, so you know, can move in independently without that assistance. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's important to know. And uh, there's some remarkable facilities, particularly in Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, where they bring docents in or people that will talk about their trips to Hong Kong or oh. or Thailand or, you know, Switzerland or wherever they and have been living. And you've toured many of those, haven't you? Yes. As part of yeah. This and they're, they're beautifully, beautifully done, you know, with gorgeous swimming pools and oh, all kinds goodness. of. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, <laughs> and in some of them, the... Um, you know, you can buy into the facility, and then once you depart, uh, you can resell it. Oh. So, so that's nice too because they fill up very quickly. Mm-hmm. I bet. Yeah. Especially now with people wanting to sell their homes mm-hmm. um, and not, you know, having a place to live. I I know you're working locally with a couple of people on a waiting list. Yes. Yes, um, they are to get into our yeah. local mm-hmm. um, facility. So. Yes. Yes. So. Oh my goodness. Well, what would you tell a seller today okay. if mm-hmm. you were to meet with the seller, wanted to sell and didn't have a place to move? Well, there's a, a certain risk if they wanted to try to list their home and then maybe do a rent back. So the risk is not to the buyer, but it's more to the seller, uh, particularly during this COVID period uh, in the event that there was a a moratorium on evictions or something of that nature. That could be a little riskier, but otherwise it would work pretty well for many, many sellers uh, if we didn't have the COVID uh, equation. And if a buyer was willing to let someone live, you know, rent and rent back or whatever for some period of time, that can be helpful to them too. Yeah, it's we'll talk about the the market stats here in a little yeah. bit, but because yeah. it's very interesting what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of new things that have been happening as a result of COVID and things like that. But I just I want to talk a little bit more about you. So you said let's let's go further back. You you talked about Bellini. 
Mm-hmm. Let's go back. You're, you're a teacher. Correct. And I, I love that about you because even when I teach classes, you're very good at helping me remember. Now, the best <laughs> thing to do is to kind of line out what we're going to accomplish today and let everybody know before the class. I mean, you've given me great advice over the years. extraordinarily <laughs> well. You really have. But, um, you're really great. So so tell us about that. And then um, what uh, I also find it extremely interesting what you and David started in Stanwood, if you are willing to share that as well. Ah, well, this was my husband. David's dream was to have kind of an ice cream parlor, but he didn't want to reinvent the wheel, so he wanted to go with a franchise. And thus, we built the uh, Dairy Queen in Stanwood. Yes. And then sold it about six years later. And then there have been two other, three other subsequent owners. And we just departed. You know, we didn't look back. We didn't try to you know, suggest how another manager owner should do their business. We just let them do their thing. And now poor old Dairy Queen is sitting out there unattended. Yeah. And, well, uh, but and you, vacant. I mean, the fact yeah. that you built that, though, mm-hmm. that was back in, what, 85? Yeah, 80, 83. 83. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It, that's an accomplishment. Imagine how that must have felt back then to have a brand new Dairy Queen in town. It was. And, I mean, that's, and, that's and was what exciting. I like to think about. It really was. And it was fun because people really uh, cherished the opportunity to come in for their banana splits. And then when the blizzards came out, we just took off. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was just extraordinary. Everybody wanted a blizzard. Oh, you I'm know, sure. And sometimes people would come through the drive through and, and order a banana split. And then they go down to the south end of the island and call us and say, my banana split is melted. We want you to replace this. Oh, you're and, kidding me. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, just mix it together and make it a, make it a blizzard. <laughs> so oh. it, was, it was fun. Yeah. And, uh, and it was an opportunity to meet the youth of our community. Sure. Uh, because most of our employees were uh, kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, high school kids. And, but we, we ran a pretty tight ship. And so it's, it's been interesting to run into these same people who are now in their 40s and 50s. Oh, I'm sure. And, uh, right. you know, and they talk about uh, the days at Dairy Queen and how much fun they had. And, Oh, and, good. Uh, and then they critique every other Dairy Queen they go to today. Oh, I bet. I yeah. bet yours was the oh, most said, organized. No, well, they, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it oh, was fun. So you you have seen a lot of change, you know, Indeed. over in this town. Um, Indeed. But one of your favorite stories that you tell me, uh, speaking of change, mm-hmm. is um, the story of your dad. And oh. what he did for a living and how much change he saw during his career. Do you mind sharing that? No, not at all. It's pretty extraordinary. My father was one of five children. His mother died in the 1918 Spanish flu. And so he was 12 years old, the eldest of five. And he went on to get his business degree. And then he flew for United Airlines. And he was a, he started as an open cockpit mail plane with the leather helmet and the white scarf, the whole nine yards. Amazing. Totally out in the open. And he was born of the right generation where he transitioned then to the um, McDonnell Douglas aircraft that had the DC-4s and the DC-6s that you see in movies like, um, what's the one with um, Ingrid Bergman and uh, not Casablanca. Yeah, maybe it was Casablanca. Uh, Anyway, some of these old prop jobs and then he transitioned right into uh, the jet age. So he went from the open oh. cockpit mail plane right through the jet age. And one of my proudest moments of him was when he flew the inaugural flight when United started first by their 
aircraft from Boeing, because prior to that they were buying them from um, McDonnell Douglas. Oh. So he, he had the whole press corps and everybody, because he got to fly, had the initial flight for a Boeing aircraft. So, oh, so that was fun. And the irony too is he was a flight manager uh, for United out of SeaTac, which was a tiny little airport compared to what it is today. And one of the clients I'm working with right now is a 93-year-old woman who uh, worked at United at the same flight center where my dad was and she knew him personally. So that was pretty what remarkable. What a great surprise. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. Yeah, so that was fun. And also the fact that he, um, he loved, from what you've told me in the past, loved the open cockpit. And when it was time to close in, he yeah. thought, how can we ever fly yes. these planes? Exactly. We can't feel the wind. We can't see that, you know, yeah. just uh, imagining that. It's kind of like, you know, in real estate, when we've gone from looking at the books to mm -hmm. find the house, to go to the computer and thinking, True. gosh, how yeah. do I, I mean, how do you not, make this transition? Yeah, he said there was a real revolution among the, or revolt, I should say, among the pilots when they were enclosed because in the old days, they would just lean out and look at a buffalo trail and that's how they navigated. So then when they, <laughs> when they had to become enclosed, that was just, that wasn't flying anymore as far as they were concerned. You know, wow. and then uh, it just had to make that whole transition. So, that and was... you have some uh, hours under your belt too, don't you? I do. Yes, um, I got my pilot's license in float planes. I've never landed or taken off personally in a land plane, but I got my float rating when I was about 23, 24, something of that nature. Yeah, and um, had some interesting stories with that as well. I had to take a uh, flight in in the process of getting my license uh, had to take a cross-country flight so I had to go up to Anacortes and then over to Nia Bay and Nia Bay is where uh, the ocean Pacific Ocean and Puget Sound joined together had to land at Nia Bay have somebody sign off on my log that yes I was there and then I was flying back to Kenmore because that's where I was taking my lessons out of Kenmore Air Harbor and nature called I just uh, uh -oh had to, I had to get down and I was in a float plane. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I landed in the um, <clears throat> Straits of Juan de Fuca, basically between Whidbey and Port Townsend. Oh. So I, I just landed in the water and so I opened the door and got out and stood on the float plane, <laughs> kind of re readjusted my clothing and a big swell came all of a sudden and so i was grabbing the strut trying to hang on my leg was dangling in the water oh, over the no. over the float <laughs> i thought oh my you know what's going to happen if i fall off so fortunately i didn't and i was able to resurrect myself and get, and get back <laughs> in but what an adventure that would have been because i you know um having a life jacket was not standard issued equipment when when oh, you're flying sure. And had I just been bobbing along with the big freighters coming and, and the airplane just floating away would have been quite exciting. Yes. yes. Well, I'm glad that yeah. worked out. So it did. Oh, but my gosh. Not one of my better decisions in life, but it was a necessity. Oh. But it was fun. Fun to look back. So are there any, back to real estate a hmm. little bit, are there any stats that you would like to share that are really speaking to you about the real estate market that we're in right now? Um, sure. And I appreciate that you put stats together for us. Uh, that is really helpful to our clients to see what's going on. And I just happen to have a few in front of me. But uh, kind of the trend that we're seeing right now is, you know, we've had a fewer 
pendings in July of this year compared to last month, or shouldn't say last month, compared to June. Um, but we're still selling our inventory within about two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, right now, as we know, August is generally kind of the end of the flurry of the summer when we might see more listings and things might start to fall off a little bit in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, people complain about um, limited inventories, but we have pretty good inventories right now uh, on behalf of the buyer. So that's helpful to them. So we're not seeing, you know, 13, 14 multiple offers as often as we used to. Right. Maybe we'll see one or two or maybe none. Right. And so, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting market trend. The luxury market on Camino has really been astounding. Yes. When we have, what was it, about 14% or so yep. of our sales are in the luxury market. Yep, over a uh, million. And that's over a million dollars. It's just remarkable to even be selling over $2 million as remarkable uh, right. on Camino. And of course, that's driving the prices up. So our, our average now, average sales price is 712 something. Yeah, that so. is incredible. Well, there's been, um, what is it, 43 homes sold over a million dollars this yeah. year on yeah. Camino. And I, I mean, I even believe that. Yeah, yeah, I remember back when something sold over a million, you know, it was a, a big deal. Well, it still is, of course, but um, there would maybe be a handful a year, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. now seeing uh, 43, 43 at this point, about halfway ever through the year is is something. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. And what do we have about 128 more listings added now recently? Yep. Yeah. So um, compared to last year, that was what a 28% increase, something of that nature. Yep. So, you know, prices are up. And even today, uh, you know, I don't think the buyer really has the opportunity to negotiate lo lower prices. Um, you know, a, a seller can overprice his house and then he's not going to get much activity at all, if anything, but he can't underprice it. And the market will, will show mm -hmm. where that price should be. But at the same time, um, you know, we're still on average getting about 5% over the list price on Camino and what is it, around 4% in Stanwood. Right. So, right. Uh, and if you look at everything individually, some are much higher than mm -hmm. that. Some are, yeah. um, you know, it really boils down to the pricing. I think when a listing, uh, we take a listing, it's, you know, we see these prices going up, up, up. So I think a, a lot of sellers, I would probably want to mm -hmm. do this too, want a price high. Yeah. And the danger right now is pricing too high because then the listing will sit. But what we're saying is you really can't underprice because the market's going to find you. There's enough buyers out there where uh, the market will find you and drive that price up with multiple offers. Um, oftentimes higher than where it would have been if you listed uh, yeah. at that price. So it's a very interesting time. Yeah, because buyers today, you know, some of them are getting a little frustrated and they're getting what you call buyer fatigue. Yes. Because they're tired of losing, but at the same time, if it's priced correctly, they'll be jumping in. Right. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, so it'll be good. Um, so have you noticed any other trends um, in the market here mm -hmm. that you'd like to discuss other than um, I like how you're debunking the no inventory yeah. um, issue. People say there's no inventory, but the fact that we've listed more homes um, than last year at this time helps. Yeah. helps. I but, think, you know, one thing that we've just seen in the last year, particularly, is 
it's been it's been more challenging for the buyers because now they're forfeiting a number of what we would consider normally their rights you know to have an inspection to be able to review the ccnrs for a community to um, really get a grasp of what's going on in that home and that community and sometimes they have to forfeit that opportunity in order to even be competitive so um, sometimes they're even forced to do a non-refundable earnest money right. that makes it more challenging We're for the buyers that so that's a trend that we have not seen in the past right so right uh, and it, it you know it's scary it is scary it's scary for buyers yeah. and it's scary for us but it, it's also a sign of the times it is and people are doing it you know because they want they want a home to live they want to live in this community mm -hmm. this is a remarkable community the whole stanwood camino area what i really love about this community is <clears throat> well, first of all, it's a natural beauty. And, you know, we have a number of people who can now um, work out of the home. And so that's a whole transition, something new. They really are effective at working out of their homes where in the past uh, they may not have considered that or their right. employers may not have considered that. Right. And so then um, being in this community, what I love about it is that as there's it's a tight fit community, people really reach out to one another. They volunteer for practically everything, whether it's the food bank or supporting the YMCA or supporting Meals on Wheels for the seniors or Safe Harbor for people that need um, medical assistance. It's just, uh, you know, if you're pulling over, if you've pulled over the side of the road and you need help and you're mm -hmm. out there trying to to change a tire, somebody's gonna come over and help yes. you. It's so, so nice. It really is. It's uh, it's a, a place that, you know, you know, getting us off the rock is pretty hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know. And you're right up there with volunteering with things, too, over the years. My goodness, you yeah. have been uh, doing so much for so many. Yeah, the, the food bank has a really great program uh, called Simple Gesture. Yes. Where twice uh, every uh, alternate month, so they're not overwhelming people, uh, they have a list of foods that they would like you to donate to the food bank and it makes it very simple. They have a little green bag and you just put it right outside your door and a volunteer will come and pick it up and bring it directly to the food bank. So it makes it very simple and yet very, you know, the community is pretty remarkable in terms of reaching out. And we have very strong school systems, which I think really helps too mm -hmm. with maintaining property values. Yes. People support the Stanwood Community Schools. Yep. Yeah. And our new, our beautiful new high school. Yes, can hardly and, wait so we can all get inside. So. I know, we've so, been waiting for a tour. Yes, we have. Uh, so that'll come soon, hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your most memorable moment in real estate. Well, I think one of the ones that really stands out is we have, we were representing I keep saying we because my husband and I were a team, and so now I'm soloing since he retired in October. Um, but we had a client who um, had their their furniture truck in the driveway ready to unload. The funding, uh, what we were told, had come through in terms of escrow, and then we got a last-minute call that said from the lender <coughs> that we had to document and prove that the buyers were alive. So I never had that experience before or since, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but that was memorable. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was, we were able to get a hold of the uh, lady part of our, our uh, client base, and she was able to FaceTime with the lender. And so she could prove that she, in fact, was alive. 
Her husband, however, was a pilot and he was en route to Chicago for oh. one of the major airlines. So how are we going to prove that he was alive? So that was quite challenging. So we had to go through the whole, fortunately having a flight background and in my history, it helped. So we had to go through dispatch. They had to, to, um, to radio the pilots you know, en route to Chicago. He in turn had to, <laughs> had to have documentation from people around him and, and get a, finally found, a, I think, a, a passenger that had a phone where they could FaceTime and then eventually get him documented that he, in fact, was alive. And so then the funding finally was released. I wonder why that was a requirement I don't at know. the last I think minute. When I, talked to, I, when I talked to the lender before or there, during the process, um, they had indicated that they had an experience where one party had passed just at the time of closing. And so they weren't willing to underwrite. So it was quite uh, interesting, like I say, never before or since, but that's a memorable one. Well, for sure. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So do you have any um, dreams or aspirations that you hope to accomplish one day? Well, my granddaughter lives in Switzerland and she has uh, four children along with her husband. And so I would like to, at some point, uh, be able to spend two or three months in Switzerland hiking the Alps with them. Oh. And um, that would be a fun adventure, something to look forward to. Yes, yeah. for sure. Oh, my goodness. Be a mini nanny, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but come back to work. I always enjoy working. So that's, oh, that's, yeah, great. that's great. So how about, um, do you have a story that you'd like to share? About... Anything? Well, yes, you had mentioned something oh, about... I was, was going to share my little flight experience, yes. but I think I did oh, know, coming okay. in from Nia Bay. So. Okay, I yeah. wasn't sure if that was yeah. the, the story we were referring mm -hmm. to. Okay, so anything else that you're passionate about or that you'd like to share, whether it's real estate related or, or anything else that... Uh, would be fun? Well, I am passionate about flying. Of course, I really enjoy that and, and floats. More so in floats than land, just because we have so much water around here and you know, you have a you have a landing pad just about any place yes. you want to go, which is really great. Um, but I think the thing I'm most passionate about is just keeping my clients educated. I care about how people feel. Um, and so I want them to see this as a as a positive experience because looking forward to the next transition in their lives. So I'm passionate about keeping them educated so that they're not floundering, so that we have kind of a smooth landing in each case. And, um, you know, it's just the, the process, I think, is really important. And, and because I am kind of a caring person, I used to be a, a hospice a volunteer. I used to do, you know, Meals on Wheels, things of those natures. It's just all about... Um, you know, being in a small community where we're going to see our neighbors, we're going to see our clients, and we want to encourage them to be part of, of uh, the giving that we see so often in this community. And you and Randy are, are you know, an exception too with doing the um, soapbox derby that you've um, done on how many years now? 14, 14 years, something yeah. like that. It's pretty Thank remarkable. You. And you bring hundreds of people together through this community, working cooperatively and having a great day and fun adventure for the kids, which is really good. 
Well, we love it here too. And what we find is people come up here to Stanwood Camino because they want to be here. Mm-hmm. They're, they're never being, you know, relocated here generally or forced to be here. I mean, it's, it's generally people come here because they want to and they want to live this great life and around this great beauty. Indeed. And uh, it is a real pleasure to get to work and live here for yes, sure. Indeed. So, um, I think that we could probably start to wrap it up. I would love to hear, though, before we do, how you define success. Well, I think in our culture, our Western culture, we define success as um, do we have a beautiful home? Do we have a wonderful car? Do we have, you know, all these material things which are fine. There's nothing wrong with having the material assets that you've earned as long as you've earned them and you've done so honestly and gracefully and, and put put the time and uh, effort into it. But um, as I think about it more, I define success. I ask myself at the end of the day, because I like to journal and that's been just within the last couple of years, kind of a new activity for me. But at the end of the day, I look at my journal and I say to myself, have I done my best to love others today? So have I encouraged somebody? Have I written them a note? Have I given them a call? Have I uh, affirmed them in some way? To me, that is success as to whether I have really uh, made the effort to love somebody thoroughly. And not necessarily people that one would consider, quote, worthy, but really making an effort to, um, to reach out and help somebody that uh, is in need or Maybe they're not even in need or don't think they're in need, but they everybody needs to be encouraged and we all need a pat on the back. Yes. And we um, all need to feel wanted and desired, so. Well, yeah. I have been the recipient of some of that from you and it sure feels great. And I, I love that. That yeah. is a, a wonderful way to define success. Well, thank you. Appreciate oh, that. That's, well, thank you, Tamara. Yeah. Um, well, I just uh, have really enjoyed our time together. I do want to share one more thing about Tamara that I just love is um, every once in a while in our industry, we get uh, revised forms or revised uh, rules of, mm-hmm. of our tr- for our trade. And um, I can always count on Tamara to be the first one who has uh, highlighted the changes and memorized the changes and educated those around her about the changes, um, sometimes including me. And I love that about you. And I, um, I love your attention to detail and optimism and all of these things. Well, thank you. I appreciate so much that you're always available. So many uh, owner brokers of... Uh, any kind of business are, you know, pretty remote. And Randy and Marla always make themselves available. I see Marla more often because we're in the same office, but she always has an open door. I always appreciate that. And sometimes we have challenging questions and we have to find the answers and we're not, you know, afraid to get help from other parties. But Marla's always there. She's right on, on top of it. And I find you to be remarkable. I really do. Oh, oh my goodness. Because, uh, you know, you're juggling so many balls in the air and yet you're keeping up with all of these changes and and they are constant coming in from the MLS. Um, Mostly, you know, legal issues of some sort, but it's Mm -hmm. there for a purpose and that is to protect all parties so that, um, you know, nobody gets into trouble. 
Right. Yeah. Yep. So, we want to protect our clients yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yep. Well, there's a lot of good vibes in this room, Tamara. So well, thank you very thank you. much for thank all you. that. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the We Are Stanwood Camino podcast. If you're interested in selling your home or buying a home, please reach out to us on our website or by phone at 360-387-HOME. And remember, at Windermere, we're all in for you. Indeed. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been uh, a pleasure and podcasts are new to me. So it's been fun. Great. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.